Hey, what's up, you guys? Yes. Welcome to the Trigger Warning. Here at Queer Pressure Podcast, we like to give you a heads up for any troubling content that might ruin your good time. In this episode, we tackle a story that deals with pedophilia and sex with minors. So if that is not your cup of tea, we totally understand. Go ahead and hop off now. For the rest of you, enjoy episode nine, Call Me By Your Name. Hi everybody, I'm Maddie Gray. And I'm Katherine Johnson. And you're listening to Queer Pressure Podcast. We are so glad you've decided to join us. Before we even explain what the podcast is, let me just... Uh... Oh, I thought, you're, I thought you were going to finger fuck an apricot. <laughs> I was like, what is this? Queer Pressure Podcast is a critical exploration of queerness in media as an act of radical self-love at a time when the entire world says, hate your big gay self. And I say, nay, no one I shall watch says gay that. movies instead. The interesting thing is nobody exists besides me, so I don't know who could possibly be saying this hate your gay self. <laughs> Nonsense. It's you, Catherine. It's been you this whole time. Okay. Apt observation. This evening, we usually record in the morning, and now it's evening. What are you drinking? I have two separate drinks going, uh, as per usual, um, but this time, it's a new one. Matt got a new IPA that he decided he didn't like anymore. Um, Good Life Brewing Company Descender IPA is what this is. And I'm also drinking, ooh, you're going to hate this one because- uh, Mother's milk? <laughs> There's only, I, it's the only liquid I could think of that I don't like. No, everybody needs to know how much Catherine hates mixing of the seasons. Did you put like, you can't drink fall drinks in the spring. You can't drink summer drinks in the winter. Here I am enjoying a pumpkin spice <gasps> tea. You cannot have pumpkin spice <laughs> tea. I told you. In I told May. you. I told you you would hate it. My eyes are watering a little bit. I don't know if it's emotion. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm really mad. It's probably the sheer rage. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not, it's not even rage. It's I just feel really bad for you because <laughs> there is nothing as special as drinking the correct drinks in the correct seasons. Sometimes it feels great to go against the grain, though, you know? No, it doesn't. Yes, and now I'm nostalgic for all the pumpkins, and so I made some pumpkin tea. Nostalgic for pumpkins? Are you going to ask me what I'm drinking? Or am I Maybe. just nothing Maybe. What is it, Catherine? What are you drinking? Okay, so... Because of the film, Call Me By Your Name, uh, can you believe that they don't have apricot juice at Fred Meyer during a pandemic? I went there specifically to get apricot juice or nectarine juice or peach juice, and they didn't have any of it. And they looked at me Here and they're like, ma'am. I am a middle-class white woman, and I require my apricot I juice. work hard five minutes a week to get my unemployment filed. <laughs> And I want to spend it on apricot juice. You know how they say, uh, don't shop when you're hungry? Yes. What that phrase should really be is don't shop when you're in the middle of reading an Italian romance novel. I spent $100, which is how much I usually spend at the grocery store, but I got no real food. Uh-oh. I got a lot of fancy cheese. I got a lot of hummus and pita bread and baguettes. <laughs> um, I wanted to get like olives and like everything and do like a full Mediterranean week but um then there was like people screaming at the security guards and I was like yikes <laughs> like, I hate the pandemic so much <laughs> man you can't was... get apricot juice people are screaming yeah and then there's all these people just not wearing masks and getting up in my business and I was like ma'am six feet please and then suddenly there's <laughs> people screaming at the security guards and I was like oh god grab your baguettes and go anyways that was a very <laughs> roundabout way of saying that the closest thing that kind of looked like nectarine juice was like a fancy organic breakfast blend juice and it looks mm. like the nectarine juice in the movie so that is what I am drinking at the moment good do you remember what our new segment is what am I wearing yes what are you wearing 
Same as last time, I'm wearing a jumpsuit. It's not the same jumpsuit, but I am wearing a jumpsuit. I'm wearing a Hogwarts Express t-shirt and a Turby twist in my hair because I took a shower today. Call me by your name ever since I started like in earnest watching a lot of queer media. Call me by your name has been suggested to me to be rented on YouTube every like, day. Every yeah. Forkin' day. It's always there. I think, let's start this off in a really aggressive way. What's the deal with Timothy Chalamet? Why is everyone losing their mind? <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. Oh my I don't God. either. I mean, he's a cute little twink. Is he? He. I think he looks like the kid from Stranger Things. Is he the kid from Stranger Things? No, he's not the kid from Stranger Is he Finn Wolfhart? <laughs> no, no. I don't really get the appeal either, but I think, you know, we talked about this um, on our Sherlock episode. The death of the trash boy has happened. There is no more sexy trash boy. We, we do not partake in the trash boys. No, they're canceled. Now we partake in the sweet, cute... Who is we? Twinks. I society I don't know I'm not really into Timothy Chalamet but you know I've heard a lot of like back when I worked in a retail store uh we had a lot of like customers that were repeats and they would talk to us about their families and stuff like that you don't have to talk about your families to retail employees where's the story going did you meet someone who's related to Timothy Chalamet no like I would hear customers all the time being like oh my god my daughter's so into Timothy Chalamet and I would be like who is that? Why I do I care? Yeah, because I didn't know who he was for so long, but it's literally the only thing anyone ever talks about anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they might talk about Harry Styles every once in a while, but they never without also mentioning Timothy Chalamet. The, mm-hmm. I can guess someone's about to say it before they say it every time. <laughs> and I brought it up to my friend. I was like, I don't know your Timothy Chalamet thing. And I admitted, I don't know who he is. Like, I, if you had shown me a picture of him, I wouldn't recognize him. I had never seen a movie he was in. I don't even know what movies he's been in. And then she was like, he was in Call Me By Your Name and Lady Bird and uh, Little Women. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> I was living in this, like, world where I had no clue who he is. And now I have a definite idea of who he is. I hadn't seen any of those movies, but I've heard of those movies. And now I have an idea of who he is. And now I've seen the fucking movies of... And I was just like, the whole time, I was like, this boy? does This one? Next to Army Hammer? That's a good looking man. (laughs) I know. And his voice. Very, very sexy voice. I don't know what to think of this generation. I don't want to be mean because I I think he was a very good actor, but I just, Mm -hmm. I don't think he's that good looking. I think he's fine. I think he's, he's like fine. Yeah. average looking. <laughs> I don't think the fact that he's, he's like held next not to like Harry the Styles throb of like my childhood. I think Harry Styles is gorgeous, right? I think he's mm-hmm. so beautiful and I raised him so well. Because he's your son. And yep. I'm like this is the boy that you guys are all comparing him to. <laughs> what? I was uh reading a bunch of articles about this and like We'll we'll get to this about like the age difference, but like he was like twenty one when this movie was filmed, and he, was he looks 20. like he's he looks like he's like fifteen. Because <laughs> I looked it up as I was watching it, I was like, okay, there's some seventeen year olds who look like this, and it was like he was an adult. Well, obviously he was an adult because like you can't make movies with kids, but um, you can't make this kind of a movie with a kid. No, no, no. no, no and then you're next to Army Hammer, who's 31, and like you're playing a 24-year-old, and he looks like a fucking hunk of a man. Uh-huh. He's supposed to be playing 24. I know. I was like, this makes the age difference way worse. Because <laughs> Timothy Chalamet looks like a baby. He looks like he looks like Finn Wolfhart, and Army Hammer looks like Robert Redford, like in his prime. <laughs> yep. And it's just like, what? This isn't good. Anyways, uh, well, let's tell everybody what this movie is, shall what we? Is the, what is this movie? Call Me By Your Name was a 2017 coming-of-age gay romance. It was directed by Luca Guadagino <laughs> and based on a novel by Andre Akiman. It was acquired by Sony Pictures Classics just before it premiered at the 2017 Sundance Film Festival in January. And it had a limited release in the United States in November of that year and a general release in January of 2018. It stars Timothy Chalamet, Boy Wonder. (laughs) No shit. Army Hammer. His name is the his name is so it is a very good name. And Michael Stahlberg. Who was Michael Stalbert? Is that the dad? He was the dad. Yeah. Okay. No, I was like, there's another person in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it got four nominations for the Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and it won for Best Adapted Screenplay. It also the screenplay itself also won uh, the twenty third Critics Choice Awards, the seventy first British Academy Film Awards, and the Writers Guild of America Awards in two thousand seventeen. It got a ninety five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it was also a book. I already said that, oh. but yes, it was a book. And did you know? They got, like, the rights to make the movie before the book even came out. Really? And Timothy Chalamet was, like, signed on from the age of 17, but they didn't make it till he was 20. So it took a little long. Wow. Um, will you read the plot? No! <laughs> Fine, I'll read it. 17-year-old Elio Perlman falls in love with a grad student and Jewish-American 24-year-old Oliver, who has come to stay with his family somewhere in Italy over the summer to assist Elio's father on an archaeological excursion that is not it you got it wrong no you have it wrong give it then he's a grad they doing things yeah they bring grad grad students students. there for six weeks every year to help them with their theses and they end up on an archaeological excursion that's not even in the book really so it's super not the plot but it's that they come and hang out for six weeks and help him with like his a little bit with his research and then he helps the student with their book that they're writing. That's cool. That's a good system. So, the bad. The problematic. I would have ordered this differently. Number one, I would have pedophilia (laughs) instead (laughs) of straight people. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. Pedophilia number one. Well, that one's like my main talking point. So we'll leave it till the end. But But anyways. But yes, number one, pedophilia. Number two, there are just straight, cis, white men all over the place playing gay white men. No trans people, no people of color, nada. But the director actually is gay. And the writer. So there's that. So at least there's that, right? I don't know. I'm not here to pass judgment. I'm here to scream about the shape of Timothy Chalamet's head. Uh Uh-oh. Once again, uh, we see the tragic queer love story trope, which, you know, is just going to show up in a lot of these because... It's a very popular trope. I was going to say, this one has less of an excuse to have that trope because, like, we, you know, gave a pass for something like My Own Private Idaho because that's the originator of Mm -hmm. the cinematic gangst trope where this, you know, the book was written in the last 10 years. The movie was made in the last few years. But the point of it isn't to be sad gay. There's like a... The book kind of makes a different point than the movie does. Interesting. So the movie, if it was just the movie, I would say, yeah, they they were trying to correctly convey the conventions of the time, but they still fell into that same trope. But the book, there's more of a point they're making. Well, I think maybe we should grab the elephant that's in the middle of the room and just put it all out there the pedophilia Pedophilia. yeah well first of all it's technically not pedophilia (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah that legally not no because the age of consent in italy in the 1980s is 14 14 years old yes so in this movie slash book slash i'm gonna feed you i'm gonna feed you a little more of your own medicine do you think it's pedophilia Yeah, that's annoying. Yeah, see how hard it is to <laughs> ask a yes or no question for something that requires a lot more of a yes or no answer. Okay, how do we want to define pedophilia? Are we talking like the legal definition? Or are we talking about a moral well, definition? Well, that is kind of the point of everyone who's um, arguing around this movie is, do we strictly adhere to the age of 18 or, <laughs> or is there something ethical that lives outside of laws based on jurisdiction is a 17 year old in italy so different than a 17 year old in washington where that would have been illegal i would argue yes there is something very different from a 17 year old in italy than a 17 year old in say washington state united states because to be clear where we're from washington the age of consent is 16 but you can only have sex with someone over the age of 16 within two years of your age Mm-hmm. the total age of consent, like where you can do whatever you want, is 18. So these guys being five years apart would have been illegal where we live. Extremely, extremely illegal. Where in some states it's just 16, but sorry, keep going. The reason I say that those two categories, those two individual hypothetical teenagers 
are so different is largely because of the sex education I know they would have received. That is not something I thought of. Really? Yeah. Because, like, for instance, like, in Europe, their sex education does tend to veer towards things like, you know, birth control, like, more more discussions on consent and pleasure and things like that. Um, and just as a culture, they are more sexually open as opposed to, you know, Washington, where we were told that AIDS could get through the condom with the spermies. If you get married, you'll have AIDS before you have mm-hmm. a baby. Oh, yeah. Sex even within marriage can give you <laughs> can AIDS. Can give you AIDS. Yeah. So uh, best, best get thee to a nunnery. Another reason I think this is different is because, like, I think that there is a difference, especially given the time period in the 1980s when this is set between a gay teenager and a straight teenager at this age. That's the biggest thing people bring up is like, if you don't get it, then you mostly because you're not a gay man. Yes. Which because I don't don't know. I'm not a gay man. I don't know. Yeah. Age differences in the queer community. Um, So when a community of people is ostracized and othered, and their attractions and behaviors are degraded as like immoral, like you're bad if you do this, if you feel this, this subjugated community can become rife with abuse. And it's actually very, very common, especially within this time period, among young queer people, especially men, although it does also happen or has also happened in the lesbian community, I know of that, to be like scouted out by older queer men and like taken advantage of as young queer men. This now, is, this is not necessarily what happens in this movie. Yeah, because that that's also a stereotype that the gay community is really trying to fight against because that's yeah. one that straight people still kind of can hear echoing in the back of their heads is that like a lot of gay men are pedophiles. Another mm-hmm. part of that is not just that it's like older gay men prowling looking for younger gay men. It's that they are, you're so ostracized by everything that there is more of an attraction between younger people towards older people as not just like they're not just a partner to them they're also like a mentor a mentor yep exactly yeah so that is another part of a different facet of that relationship that you don't necessarily have in straight relationships which right i would i think as things even out more and as it becomes easier to be gay that's something that might go away it might be so entrenched that it doesn't that's There's why I that... specified for in the 80s because that's happening less and less these days because it's like more acceptable to be queer. So like you're not forced into the shadows as much necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, in like very conservative communities, this is something that still very much happens. But these days you will know other queers your age. Probably. As opposed to having to go seek somebody out. Hopefully. I don't know. I'm not in high school. I don't know any <laughs> high schoolers. Um, But... For instance, uh, the show Queer as Folk, the I have never seen the US version. I assume it's the same as the UK first episode. The whole premise revolves around a 15 year old getting swept up into this world of 20 somethings. And and you can see very easily why that happens. It's because the 15 year old realizes he's gay. He's the only kid at school who's coming out. Where does he go to be around other people? He goes to a gay club with a bunch of adults who've come out. Mm-hmm. There. Whereas mm-hmm. if he had, you know, a group of queer people at his school, he would hang out with those people probably. Right. And this is the argument that I got into with my roommate, who is a cis, hetero, white male, who was mm-hmm. like, well, do you think that it's okay for like people to prowl on younger people then? I'm like, no, I'm just saying that it happens. Oliver is also not prowling. That God, is a- no. I'll get to that in a second, but... Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But just in general, like, he drunkenly got into a very big argument, heated argument with me about, like, morality and the philosophy of morality around sex. And, like, I was like, you don't get it because you're straight. (laughs) Yeah, like, that, it's not the same. And I'm not, I'm not trying to endorse it. But, like, but the thing I kept seeing is, like, what would you guys think if this was a girl? And I was like, exactly. then it would be a very different kind of relationship. You can't, you, it's insulting, first of all, to ever just like switch the genders up and think that it applies the same way to a gay relationship because there are just mm-hmm. so many different things that go into that. But I still want to be clear that I'm not outright endorsing this. I'm just saying it's not something that you guys can understand as well. I have actually a good quote about it. Is it the one from Slate? 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we both have it. That's awesome. You read yours and we'll see if it's the same one. Uh, so they talk about like the age difference and all of that. And they say that's not to give cover to pedophilia or any form of violation, but to acknowledge that human desire can be far more complex and intractable than we might like to admit. Not every relationship removed from our comfort zone is abuse. From Slate.com, the ethics of call me by your name. Yeah, but it's not the... Uh, Ooh, interesting. Right What's your quote? They commented a lot on everything going on with Kevin Spacey at the time mm. because that added to this idea of like the older gay male predator and that we all put a line in the sand of like, no, no Kevin Spacey, no, never. It, we don't get to, you know, distinguish the artist from the art. In that same article, it says, in trying to think through these issues and call me by your name, I called Joseph Fischel, Fischel, a Yale scholar who has written on the messy politics of age and consent for Slate. He noted our society's intense focus on age and sexuality is a relatively recent notion, not a long-settled one, and that while the law may have a legitimate need to be blunt and rigid, our art does not. In my view, it's reasonable to be disturbed by the unconventional relationship and call me by your name, but it's not reasonable to say the movie endorses pedophilia or any kind of power-based abuse just because it depicts that relationship. If we go down that censorious and unnuanced path with our art, very little will survive the trip. So I literally read that quote to Matt as I was reading it because he was like, okay, okay, that's I I can see where that's coming from. Okay, because like the whole argument that we were having had to deal with like morality and ethics and like what's okay and what's not. And he kept bringing up like I watched the documentary about R. Kelly and only two of the girls that he slept with were under 17 and i'm like but it's so different that's different he was grooming them yeah that's he was a serial rapist that groomed children in this movie so like you said in 1983 in italy the age of consent was 14 so legally no one was necessarily being taken advantage of in this movie Mm -hmm. also anyone who might be nitpicky because laws were different for uh, the gay age of consent, usually. And um, I was reading an article that it still checks out. It didn't say what the gay age of consent was, but it still checks out. They were still legally allowed to bone. But there was also, like, genuine affection between Elio and Oliver. Um, And Oliver is the one who's resisting the attraction. It's Elio who is, like, throughout the story coming on to him until he finally succumbs and this is not a predatory relationship it's a coming-of-age romance if anyone's predatory it's elio definitely Um, so the book (laughs) Uh i have another quote that will put in better words the big difference between the book and the movie because the book is from elio's perspective and it's kind of just this stream of consciousness being horny for 300 pages (laughs) and you don't see that in the movie at all they went a really different route with it where you're just kind of experience watching them and reading the book i was like oh my god this is what he was thinking during all of this (laughs) like he was (laughs) out of his mind with lust for this guy the second he stepped out of his car it made it seem like a little slower in the movie like they were falling in love that doesn't happen (laughs) they do not fall in love (laughs) they bone and then they realize they like each other when they like leave each other (laughs) Um, okay so same slate article said call me by your name call me by your name also has a gentler more conventionally romantic energy on screen as opposed to the hungry almost darkly obsessive tone of the book and that may color perceptions of the depiction so like director luca guadan guadan no, Nino. <laughs> Director Luca and writer James <laughs> Ivory choose to emphasize Elio's fragility and youth in a way that suggests the relationship guts him emotionally, and the film skips the book's closing jump into the future where Elio's view of the relationship has many more dimensions than just sad. So there's a lot of aspects of the movie that, even though I don't think the movie shows a predatory relationship, is a lot more akin to a predatory relationship than what is depicted in the book. Because in the book, Elio is out of his fucking mind just like (laughs) they have the apricots in the movie but you don't have the like monologue about him being like apricots are just like oliver's butt i want to stick my finger in all the apricots i want to bite his butt and i bet it tastes like apricots and (laughs) and like the part when he puts the shorts on his head is because he's (laughs) it's so much 
so much more ludicrous in the book. He's just like, I want to put my face where his his penis has been, and I want to feel it. And he like does all this weird stuff. He doesn't he doesn't just like put it on for a second, being goofy. Like, it, he's bonkers out of his mind with lust the whole book, just nutting everywhere, like every little thing that Oliver says to him. He's just like, I can't wait to lick his toes and like. <laughs> For like a good like two thirds of the book, that's like all it is is him just in visceral detail thinking about all the things he wants to do to this poor man, <laughs> <laughs> who's like no, and for I'm most trouble. Also, in the book, there's not a ton of physical description, but there's nothing that would lead us to believe that the difference in body type is. Uh, anything close to the difference between <laughs> Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As soon as he stepped out of the car in the very beginning of the movie, like, it's the opening scene as he's, like, walking out of the car. I was like, that's a big man. That's a big boy. <laughs> that's a big man, and that's a little boy. And that's a little boy who's playing Minecraft in his mom's basement. <laughs> and this fucking Sundance kid just walked into his backyard. And he's going to fuck him. Okay, here's something. The other movie that it reminded me of constantly is the movie Morris, uh, which was made in the 80s based on the E.M. Forster book of the same name. And it Mm -hmm. constantly always reminded me of that movie. And then I found out at the end the reason for that is because the director of that movie wrote this movie. Um... So Morris is also a queer film. I forgot to bring that up. Morris was when I started my my gay film festival that never ended is my joke because one mm-hmm. weekend I decided to have a gay film festival and then just never stopped. And that was one of the first movies I watched in that was Morris. So that was fun coming back to that. But mm-hmm. it also kind of made me think about what did what did you think of the story? Um, hmm. I thought the story was pretty lacking, honestly. Me like, too. The romance was there. I, I got the romance. I, I enjoy a slow burn, um, and it felt like a slow burn. Like, the trajectory of it was exactly what I expected after I did a tiny bit of research on it. Like, exactly what I expected. But there was really no, no plot going on besides well, that. The thing is, okay, so I think it's a good movie. I think it's shot really well. I think Mm -hmm. it's acted really well. The thing everyone brings up is that you really can feel the movie, which is why I spent all this dumb money on fucking baguettes at the store was because I was like, I'm not going to be an Oregonian anymore. I'm going to throw away all of my mason jars and I'm only going to lounge in the sun and eat hummus and like, fuck the Northwest. I'm wasted here. I'm going to live in Italy because this movie feels like you're in Italy the whole time and like I watched something where it said you feel like you can taste what they're eating and you can mm-hmm. feel the sun and that's very true. It's you feel the experience of the movie when you're watching it. But I do feel the story was kind of lacking. The book is very good. The book is very different from the movie. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's the same story, <laughs> but it's told so differently. You still have the experiential aspects of it where I fucking felt like I was just the most bohemian girl in the world as I was lying here reading this book and um, reading about all these people drinking their cordial and smoking and eating pasta and shit. But the point of the movie is to be this kind of romance, you know? And mm-hmm. I did get the vibe that this is one of those movies that is made to feel a little more heteronormative. Oh. Which is not a vibe I get in the book. Does Okay, does the same thing happen with, what's her name, his little girlfriend? More. He's totally in Mar- love with her Marzia? in the book. He's definitely in love with her in the book. Okay, okay. He's more in love with Oliver, but he thinks about her all the time. And to him, it's not, those two ideas aren't mutually exclusive. Movie, he's not into her. He's really into her sexually, but not really emotionally at all. Well, and I also even got the vibe in the movie that it was just someone figuring out their sexuality. And mm-hmm. um, and then he, you know, drops her at the end and it seems as if they've broken up. That doesn't happen in the book. He thinks about her when he's with Oliver all the time. And he's like, oh, yeah, he smells the way Marzia does when she gets out of the ocean. And to him, it's just loving everybody. He's super into everybody. Yeah. 
I know that there's a sequel to the book that is apparently not good. They're actually going to make a sequel to this movie. They've signed on. I don't know if, like, that character ended up being a gay man or not, but that was Hmm. certainly not the vibe I got in it. So something that we were talking about with our very first episode, Love, Simon, is that Love, Simon is an easy pill to swallow. And at the first, at the beginning of this, when we had barely watched anything, read anything, we were like, that's fun because you can take your mom to go see it and she can understand things better. But it's the opposite of the uh, new queer cinema movement from the early 90s, which was really in your face because they were indie movies they were like we're just gonna sell this to a bunch of homos so we don't care (laughs) about making it you know a nice coating of vanilla to help it go down (laughs) the gullet better call me by your name i think falls more on the love simon side i think that a lot of the uh homosexuality is they try to in their view normalize it make it seem more like a heteronormative relationship I don't think they do in the book. (laughs) I think they do more in the movie. They romanticize it more. And not to say, because the book is very romantic in that like high romance. They're running through the streets of Rome and having these dinners with these poets and drinking beautiful. (laughs) And like he, Oliver jumps behind a bar to make martinis because the people who work there don't know how to make martinis. And he makes them for this group of academics and stuff like that kind of romance, high romance. But uh the emotional part of it isn't as present, I think, in like the first two thirds of the book, the way it is in the movie, where I think they're trying to make it feel more like a heterosexual normal, you know, love movie, you know? Yeah. Where uh, <laughs> it's more of a sex book than a love book. A very Even gay he, sex book. Well, you don't actually see the sex scenes, but he talks about how much he wants to fuck him all the time and the ways he wants to fuck him and like eating breakfast and thinking about him inside his butthole and all that kind of good, <laughs> good, good stuff. But, uh, that's so funny because as I was watching that movie, I was like, look how much he wants it in the butt. <laughs> and Matt would be like, stop making it sexy unnecessarily. And I'm like, look at what this horny mean? fucking teenager. What do you mean making it unnecessarily sexy? That this is whole thing ridiculous. is about he's, he's that is wants ridiculous. to bone. You wouldn't, you wouldn't say that about a straight couple. That is you wouldn't. so obnoxious. That's true. Because... I bet you anything, if it, if it wasn't like a gay movie, he'd been like, well, don't make it so gay. And now that they are gay, it's don't make it so unnecessarily sexual. And it's like, it's a sex movie. Shut your fucking straight mouth. It's a sex movie. It's like, it's like, it's like watching Fifty Shades of Grey. Being like, don't make it unnecessarily like, sexy. Stop. Stop with the socks. It's a sex book. He fucks an apricot. He does. Because he's so horny. F- fun fact, Timothy Chalamet and the director... <laughs> both fucked apricots why (laughs) the director pulled timothy chalamet aside and he was like so i've learned that you can masturbate with an apricot so i think we should do this scene and timothy chalamet was like i have also found that this is correct (laughs) (laughs) oh no i really liked that moment okay so like we're just gonna talk just really quickly about this moment in the movie where he fucks the apricot and then he feels so guilty and Oliver catches him and he's like, I'm going to eat the apricot. (laughs) And Timothy Chalamet just starts crying. Crying. (laughs) Well, before we jump into that, because I want to finish this and then I want to talk way about that scene. Anyways, what really clears it for me that like, I'm correct that this has been watered down heteronormatively was I was watching a video analysis where somebody said, this doesn't feel like a gay movie. It feels like a love story. And I wanted to stab myself. <laughs> but three insinuations here, mm-hmm. right? That a gay movie is not a love story. Because of Two, course not. that there's something inferior about a gay movie when compared to a love story. Mm-hmm. And three, that a love story feels is heterosexual, feels heterosexual. And so that that's what he was picking up on was this heteronormative side of the movie and i was like how fucking dare you (laughs) but but everyone's favorite scene i I don't think it was very clear in it that he did come into the apricot did you get that no not in the movie okay because he only played with it on his dick for a second second. yeah like he wanted to see how it felt in the in the book he comes in the apricot (laughs) and it's actually really interesting and it plays into me thinking he's bisexual because first he's like this is oliver's but and then he sticks his fingies in it and he's like <laughs> squelch 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 and then he's like 
I'm going to come in his butt and then puts it on his dick. And then uh, when it's there, he's like half of this is like a vagina and half of it's like a butt. It's like I'm fucking everyone in the world right now. Like this boy is the horniest thing that's ever existed. For a second, I was like, that must be so fun to be a bisexual, to just be attracted to everybody. But then I realized that's the stereotype that like bisexual people are sluts. (laughs) So I was like, I don't know if this is bad or good, but how fun for him that he's just like, I'm fucking the world right now. I just think he has the highest libido of all time. Of all time. And so he fucks the apricot and he comes in it and then he like turns it up and he's just like <laughs> he somehow managed to not get the cum or the apricot like on the sheets at all and so he's holding it in the apricot and he's like pretty proud of like this is a cup of my cum but it's an apricot Yikes. and and then he has this just horribly morbid thought where he sticks it like on a dresser but what he doesn't like is when Oliver comes and decides to eat it <laughs> And he's like, oh my god, no. And then he's so embarrassed. And he's like, don't. And in the book, he does actually eat the apricot. Oh god! I'll see what happens in the book first, because I don't think it's actually... I think the movie actually did this more interestingly. Mm. In the book, he cries because he's just like, this boy is so nice to me. Jeez. (laughs) He's like, this guy likes me so much. much. He ate my cum apricot. (laughs) My cumpricot. (laughs) But he's so moved by it that he's like... Because he feels very unseen. He's in a family of um, intellectuals and he's the youngest. And even though he's very smart, there's just always like professors coming and going every day. No one cares about what he says. And here's this guy who really likes what he says. And he likes him so much that he ate his comfort. Yikes. But in the movie, the scene feels really different. Yeah. Um, I want to hear what you thought of it and we'll see if it's the same thing. Because I've been talking for like 20 minutes. Well, <laughs> so for me, in this... In this scene, he, I guess, comes in the apricot, but he only plays with it for a little bit. Leaves it on the side table. Oliver finds him, playfully says he's going to eat it. And he's like, don't, don't, don't eat my compricot. And then he, like, leans down to take a bite of it. And he, like, wraps his entire body around Oliver's trunk and cries. To me, I was not sure why that was. I was, I, I kind of attributed it to, you know, being a teenager, being overly emotional, having mood swings, and also being so fucking embarrassed that you just fucked an apricot and somebody found it. <laughs> he caught you. He caught you fucking an it's, apricot. Well, it's really funny because he starts to go down on it and he's like, what did you do? And then he sees the apricot in the movie because you can't hear what he's thinking. He's kind of like a little naughty about it. Like, I don't know. Maybe I fucked the apricot. I'm so bashful. But like in the movie, it feels very much like he's like, nothing. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. But in the movie, I think because he ends up saying like, I just, I don't want you to leave or something because he's going to be leaving very soon. And it's kind of like, playfully sexually aggressive right before that because mm-hmm. they're like tousling a little bit and um he's like he's gonna eat it and Elio keeps saying no 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 don't eat it and he's like pushing him away and he's like you're hurting me and he's oh, like yeah. well then stop fighting me and all that um which to the older Oliver feels like this is like a consensual banter between partners right mm-hmm. like they're just being sexy and then Elio breaks down crying and not just like on his shoulder or something like grabs his middle like a like a child and there's a sudden change in Oliver and to me it was just like the brightest moment of the age difference here mm. and Oliver remembering that this is a young person and he can't condone himself in the same way he does with another adult with another like 20 something year old mm. which I actually liked that moment more in the movie than I did in the book interesting yeah now that you say it like that I think I appreciate that moment a lot more to me it like struck me as a little confusing and like emotionally charged but not very clearly emotionally charged but I like I like the way the parameters that you've put on it that really clarify it for me yeah it's to me it's Elio is for the first time ravenously obsessed with somebody and does not know how to handle the emotion of there's also a uh, an expiration date on this relationship. And that's something that's brought up a lot in the movie and the book. 
something about the nature of being young is so many of those relationships do have expiration dates. And I had forgotten about this that, um, you know, in high school, there's an end. You know that like you have all these friends, but you know that you're going to go your separate ways once you turn 18. And then when you're in college, once again, you have four years with these people and then you're going to go your separate ways. Like, I always forget that now because... I don't know. I might live in Portland for 30 years and have the same friends for 30 years. But um, there is something very sad about that as a young person that you don't really have these finite relationships yet. You don't know what it's really like to be an adult and uh, not have to know you're going to say goodbye to every single person Mm -hmm. around you. Like, even though you might have, because I was going to say, you know, have these long relationships, but I think there's something different about having a long relationship when you're young versus having a long relationship with your when you're an adult absolutely i think that's wrapped up in it of he knows he's going to have to say goodbye to army hammer and oliver and while oliver's also sad about it as someone in his mid-20s who is like a professor who's a doctoral candidate has probably said goodbye to people a million times it feels different you know exactly yep even though it is a reminder of the age difference, I think it's still a lovely scene. I agree. And I think he handles it well of knowing, like, this sucks. <laughs> I'm, like, super in love with this dumb kid. He does kind of, you know, be fatherly to him in that mm-hmm. moment. So that That is, like, solidified for me in their last moment together. So they, like, Elio takes him to the train and... I love their goodbye because not a single word is spoken between them. Mm -hmm. They don't say goodbye. Like everything that happens between them is like touches and feelings and looks. And Oliver gets on the train and his final look back at Elio is so heartbreaking. That was the the point where Matt started going, okay, okay, I like this movie. (laughs) And it was also very fleeting. Mm -hmm. He looked at him for like a second where Timothy Chalamet is just staring at him. The the fucking train goes all the way by and he's still just watching mm-hmm. where he that man once was. And also there's the added intensity during that hug to make it look platonic. Yeah. Which is very sad. Because it's can in see public. It in there's faces. a difference between the yeah. way they have to act in public and the way they can act in private. Because, you know, although Europe was socially ahead of most people in terms or most societies and cultures in terms of homosexuality like there was still like limits there because they had the, that thing that happened what's the thing that the happened? the nazis oh the nazis world war never II. heard of it <laughs> yeah so and then oh god that monologue scene with the dad now that because the the book and movie are really different uh-huh. that is verbatim that's good versions. because that yeah as much as I liked the like playful banter and like the love story, that scene might have been my favorite scene. Very, very well acted mm-hmm. by both of them. I'm glad I watched the movie before I read the book. I'd actually seen that you should watch the movie before you read the book because that's not how I would have imagined the dad at mm-hmm. all. The dad it doesn't even feel as present in the book as he does in the movie. And that the dad is just fantastic mm-hmm. in the movie. He has this whole monologue about how Elio had a friendship with somebody that was so deep that like nobody could understand and like he's had he he came close to a friendship or maybe something more than that like that before but he always had something holding him back he always had something telling him no he basically tells elio like i'm very proud of you you're very strong and brave and i know this sucks to have him not here anymore but always be yourself and I will love you no matter what. <laughs> yeah. My feelings. It's really good. But I mean, and he, it doesn't even have all those same tropes of the like, I'll love you no matter what thing. Mm-hmm. He says it in a way that's like less, that's more like intellectual to intellectual, which would be important to Elio because he's always around these like academics mm-hmm. that look down on him. And so these are two, and he's very, very smart. And it's these two smart people talking and he's like squares up with them of, there are a lot of parents out there who would send someone away or hope that you figure it out. I am not one of those parents. Something else I appreciate about that scene is like, these are two intellectual people, right? And like within intellectual squares, there's not a whole lot of room for emotion. Um, there's a lot more uh, importance placed on like rationality and like intellectualism and like evidence. Whereas the dad in this scene says to Elio, you're feeling a lot of things right now. You're feeling 
pain and you're also feeling joy of the time that you spent with him, don't push that down. Do not kill that because that's going to be who you are. Yeah. And you'll be sad when you're 30. And that really, <laughs> like, that really hurt me because, like, that is yeah. a that is a lesson that all young people should be taught. Don't push down your feelings. Like, let yourself mm-hmm. feel them, for God's sakes, because otherwise you're going to be a maladjusted adult and have to go to therapy. Yeah. Because the thing he says is something like, by the time you're 30, you're just going to be so burnt out by pushing all this shit down that you're not going to be a fucking person yeah. anymore. Yeah, which felt very applicable mm-hmm. to the queer experience. It sounds like the book and the movie told two very different stories. I, But I do think they're both very good. But I think the book is really good. I was kind of, I was like, this is fine for most of it. The ending is very different. Tell me about the ending. Well, the ending in the movie, right? It's Christmas. It's and, Hanukkah. Uh, the beautiful- oh, right. In the book, it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> in the movie, it's Hanukkah. It's winter. The beautiful, idyllic, sun-washed summer is gone. Everything is dead. And they get a call from Oliver, and he tells them that he's engaged to be married. Yes. And they have their moment of... The, the, the thing that we have not mentioned at all, the title of the movie, <laughs> Call oh, Me yeah. By Your Name. I guess, yeah, let's talk about that for a moment. Did you quite understand that? In the movie, why it's called? No, I mean they they have this like after they have an emotionally seeming sex scapade. I can't even remember which one says it, but one of them says, "Call me by your your name, and I'll call you by mine." Oliver does, and it becomes their little thing that they go. He goes, "Elio, Elio, Elio, Oliver, Oliver, Mm -hmm. Oliver." But no, I didn't understand like. It was cute, but yeah. it didn't strike me as like the thing of the, the, title movie. Of the movie. <laughs> what the director said, and because I still was kind of unclear, I was like, I kind of think it's this. And then the director was like, Yeah, that is what it is. But what it's supposed to be is that it's supposed to be about this kind of relationship that's so big and so pivotal that, you know, changes things. This once in a lifetime kind of relationship, not necessarily a soulmate, but once in a lifetime relationship that you are discovering things about yourself by looking at them. And so that's where the call me by your name thing is coming from, is that he's learning more about himself by looking at Oliver than he's learning about Oliver and the other way around. Interesting. Like a twin flame, if you will. So that's more about, it's it's that relationship where you're like, I didn't know I was this person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then when they yeah. get the call from Oliver and Elio says into the phone, Elio. And Oliver responds back, Oliver, 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 Oliver. <laughs> yeah, where he's having this total like, I'm gonna marry this girl, oh, and then he, you know, goes right into Oliver, Oliver, Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> just like, <laughs> like he got you. You're pretending you're straight. <laughs> he got you. He got you by the apricot. But Elio pretends he's cool with it, but then he goes and for the entirety of the um, credit roll is staring sadly at. The Flames, listening to Sufjan Stevens' song, which they actually apparently put in um, an earpiece in his ear so he could hear the song while they were filming that, so he would look really sad. That is, like, that's not the end of the book. Interesting. Well, before (laughs) before you move on to the end of the book, I just want to say that that was lovely acting. Okay, so tell me what happens in the book after that. Oliver actually comes to visit them for Christmas to tell them this stuff. And they, like, kiss, but they don't bone. And that was honestly the most interesting part of the book was going from this beautiful, idyllic, 17-year-old, young, dumb, full of cum summer to then the majority of the end is in New England. And then just at one point, like 15 years have passed and Elio has to go to the um, university that Oliver teaches at Mm. for something for work. And he decides to just go sit in on (laughs) one of his lectures and he goes to talk to him, and it takes Oliver a second to recognize him because he has like a beard now, and they haven't seen each other in fifteen years. And he, but then he recognizes him, and he freaks out, and he's like, "You have to come home. You have to meet my kids." Like, and he's like, "No, I don't want to meet your fucking kids, dude." <laughs> <laughs> and, and you kind of get the feeling that like that's where it's gonna end this weird sad ending. But then he's like, "Well, come to my office," and they come to his office, and he shows that like Oliver had stolen a piece of like a postcard off of Elio's wall when he left, and he has it hanging in his office. 15 years later (laughs) and 
and it's like this is how much I like you kid <laughs> it's like I still have this hanging in my office and then they go for drinks and they just start talking and by the end of drinks he's like yeah I'll come meet your wife and kids and he comes and meets them and it's just it's it's so much more interesting framed that way the ending being 15 years after all of this and we find that it's completely shaped both of their lives and Elio even admits that he's had thoughts where it's like wow back when I knew Oliver I didn't even know like such and such person and I can't imagine living with such and such person now that like Oliver is just like this early milestone but it's Mm. still the one that he goes and shows up for like 15 years later and Oliver feels the same way even though they've had these completely different lives um that this six week affair has completely changed their lives and in that way they've been in each other's lives constantly mm-hmm. you know what that reminds me of it reminds me of the ending of a portrait of a lady on fire but more happy the book is better than the movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds like I'm it that to tends to be the case well shall we do the nice things i don't even want to it's like the middle of the night forking no energy okay all right so this last christmas i gave Catherine a treasure chest full of sentiment and she as a continued practice of self-love reads one at the end of every episode can you believe that we have been best friends for almost an entire decade it has been a decade oh almost i guess nine years yeah passage of time call me by your mm. name Catherine. i will not damn it i tried okay let's get out of here you have been listening to queer pressure podcasts and our critical explorations of queer media as a continued practice of self-love with Catherine johnson and maddie gray hey you you should like subscribe and leave us a review on itunes or google podcasts or Apple Podcasts or wherever the heck you're listening to this. You can also like, comment, share, and subscribe to our social media. That would be Queer Pressure PC on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and now we have a website, QueerPressurePC.com. Now, once again, that is Queer Pressure PC for podcast, not for plantain commander. And have a good night. Or morning, whatever, whatever you're doing right now.